Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war digital landscape, the dominance of big tech companies can often feel overwhelming. From social media giants to e-commerce behemoths, these tech titans seem to hold all the power and control over our online experiences. But fear not, for there is hope on the horizon for the underdogs of the digital world. The key lies in embracing innovation, creativity, and a relentless drive to challenge the status quo. By thinking outside the box and leveraging alternative platforms and strategies, smaller businesses and entrepreneurs can carve out their own space in this vast digital universe. It's time to break free from the shackles of conformity and take a stand against big tech's monopoly. It's time to champion diversity, individuality, and authentic connections with our audience. It's time to level the playing field and empower those who have been overshadowed by corporate giants. Overcoming big tech may seem like a daunting task, but when passion meets purposeful action, there is no limit to what we can achieve. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to any of us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We'd love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Cyrus Noriala has served as president and CEO of SciWest Communications Incorporated since July of 1998. Before SciWest, Cyrus founded various companies providing leading-edge technologies to meet the demand for faster and more cost-effective means of communication. He has held various positions from software design and early virtualization technologies to bridging the gap between mainframe systems and the Internet. Mr. Noriala attended the University of California, Irvine as a mathematics major and California State University, Fullerton, where he double majored in computer science and business marketing. During this time, Mr. Noriala began his entrepreneurial endeavors and has remained a solid influence in the industry ever since. Cyrus, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I had the pleasure of kind of connecting with you uh, recently on uh, Kevin Tuttle uh, is a, a good friend of mine, and I'm sure yours as well, um, in one of his master classes for Spirit PR and um, was really interested and impressed with what you're doing. It's a it's a huge endeavor, as I was talking about in, in my intro. Um, it, it's a lot to take on big tech. And there's a lot of, I feel like there is definitely a lot of apathy in the industry, not only in the industry, but society at large. Um, I'm sure that's what inspired you. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's it's a 
stereotypical story of a lot of entrepreneurs, but you know, you tend to get frustrated in a particular industry that you're working in and you see that there are very easy common sense solutions to a lot of the problems um, that you're experiencing. And you wonder why it is that these corporations with all the breadth of talent and budgets that they have, that they're not doing some of these common sense, um, you know, solutions to make the environment for the consumer all that much better. Um, and so out of frustration, you know, you tend to, uh, look for those solutions yourself. And at some point you kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and, and compete with the best of them and see if I can, can't make a difference in the world around me and, and try to fix some of these issues that, uh, are plaguing everybody. Yeah, and that's so true. And that goes across all industries. I, I certainly feel that way about healthcare. I mean, healthcare, I've been in this industry for nearly 30 years, and it's just gotten more and more convoluted when it, there's, there are simple solutions out there. And it's, it is, it's frustrating. And too many, I think, just kind of feel like everything's too complex, and they would let the government take over everything. Um, and that's a real shame. That's a real shame because, I mean, they can't even, the government can't even get our mail delivered on time. So uh, to think about um, trusting them with our health care is, is a whole other, a whole other issue. Um, but so we have companies like, like Google, like Facebook, Microsoft, and it seems that they have become extensions of the government and the globalist um, community. Uh, is that is that uh, how you feel and what how do you think we got here well um it all starts with you know where the internet itself came from and, and how it began and you know it was a, a darpa project darpa being part of the department of defense and the original intent behind the internet was to have a communications network um, that could be self-healing so in times of um environmental catastrophe or in times of war, um, you know, the network would find alternate paths and essentially heal itself so that you could still communicate, uh, you know, and all communication wouldn't be lost. You know, it was supposed to be a lot more resilient than the stereotypical telephone network that we were on with Ma Bell uh, for many decades. So um, they created this thing called the internet and it uses a specific protocol to communicate on. And, uh, but it's a decentralized uh, network by its nature, uh, which means, you know, not, there's no one entity that really controls its operations and its function. Um, but when the government was releasing this um, to the public, uh, they wanted to have some kind of centralized control. And so what they did was they worked with, in some cases, or developed their own platforms, which essentially became what we commonly know as, as Google or Facebook or even Twitter. And uh, they these are centralized platforms. There's a single entity that controls the entire platform. So uh, most people don't associate the internet as just what it is, just the network that all of these platforms are riding on top of, but they also associate these platforms as being, you know, part of the internet. Um, so, 
you know, for most people, the internet represents maybe four or five destinations in total. And so those include the ones that have been pushed on us mainly through the media uh, and what I've been backed uh, in different financial ways uh, to be the dominant uh, forces in a market that's really cornered uh, by these giant big tech companies. Yeah. And so what, what do you think, you know, these companies, how do we avoid it? How do we avoid being controlled by the external forces of a Google, a Facebook, a Microsoft? Because honestly, the apathy that we spoke about earlier, it's, you know, I think we have the power as consumers to to band together and uh, say, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. I, I always feel like we have the numbers, but I think people are too lazy. I just think people are too lazy to get, they won't even do something as simple as say, changing from the Google browser to like a DuckDuckGo or something that might be say, you know, safer or um, more private. I just think as a society, we're so apathetic and we're just, you know, we, we're not doing enough. Um, so how do we, how do we rein people in and get them to get on board? I think there some of that apathy can be explained through the fact that they don't realize just how surveilled they're being um, or how their data or their information about themselves is being used uh, against them in various ways. I know a lot of people understand that they're being marketed to uh, through the data that they're giving to um, companies like Google, um, you know, or uh, Microsoft or what have you, or Facebook, uh, some of these uh, social media platforms. Uh, but it goes beyond that. Um, they not only um, are finding things out about you just to market to you, but they are also finding things out about you and archiving all of that information and developing what is beginning to look more and more like a police state than anything. And um, I don't know how many of your listeners have ever watched the movie Wag the Dog, but it's it's sort of like that idea coming to fruition. And typically what a, a government does when it starts to become too intrusive and tyrannical is it starts to implement um, laws and things that make it very difficult for a very honest, everyday citizen not to ha have violated a law in some shape or form. And so what they do is they collect all this data on you as they're surveilling you and they can turn you into a criminal very easily. Um, and we are already seeing evidence of this um, when you're being censored on platforms like Facebook or like people were being censored on Twitter. You know, you are now, even if they don't pass a law, they make it politically incorrect and you can't really speak your mind or an opinion that you have because somebody's going to come after you. They might even ruin your livelihood. They might dox you. You might even get protesters out in front of your house. So it's this very coordinated with the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that are being funded very heavily, sometimes by government, um, sometimes by these third-party players like George Soros types and things like that. And it's all a coordinated effort. And you might have heard of the term color revolution too. Um, and now that we're all online and we're going on these platforms that are centrally controlled, they're controlling um, what you can and cannot do in this digital landscape 
that they're also forcing us to to use in order to function properly within society. So um, I think when people begin to understand uh, what is really happening with the information about them, they might be a little bit more motivated to look more into what they can do to protect themselves and what the alternatives are to that. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Um, I certainly, and, I, and I'm guilty of this myself, you know, I mean, I always talk about how I know I'm being surveilled, yet I still have, you know, a, a cell phone and I still have a Gmail account. And it almost gets to that point where you're just, you're just like, whatever, you know, they have all my information. It's, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do with it. And and that's, and I hate to say that, I hate to admit that, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that, that just has not done enough to to protect myself and to to shut down big tech um but that's something that i'm i'm working on you know because it's it's important with what we're doing and keeping our clients data private um that's a big thing that's a big concern moving forward but i'm interested to learn more about specifically what type of services uh you offer at SciWest. is it uh like a, a competitor to um to like a search engine or like, I'm, and I'm, I'm, forgive me, I'm not tech, I'm not tech mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> so, um, but what, I just want to know what exactly your services are and um, how it can benefit our, our listeners. So we kind of started off uh, with the communications piece uh, mainly, and this was before, uh, it was probably at the infancy of when the internet was being introduced to the public. Uh, you know, we, we're trying to find ways in the telecom industry to bring better pricing to the consumer when it came to connecting to the internet. You know, back when we started the company, um, only corporations really had what you would call um, higher bandwidth connections going to the internet. And in those days, you know, those aren't considered high bandwidth today, but you know, they were traditional um, company circuits and, they were going through your local telephone company because back then the uh, you only had one phone company for your area. They had a, a, basically a monopoly in your particular area and you had to go through that one phone company to get onto the internet. And so um, that was very pricey. You know, you would get one and a half megabit per second um, for $5,000 a month on one of these circuits if you were a corporation. If you were the everyday common user who wanted to get on the internet, you probably had a modem and you would do a, a, a dial-up um, to the phone company to get on the internet. So we started doing um, wireless microwave communications. And what we would do is we were backhauling our customers wirelessly to our network operations center, which was had internet connections. And we would get people onto the internet by bypassing that local telephone uh, infrastructure. We call that a local loop uh, connection. And that reduced the pricing considerably um, for the end user. And it was mainly businesses that we were servicing at that time, but they didn't have to get those circuits that were costing $5,000 a month any longer. We could just put an antenna up on the rooftop of their building and we could uh, broadcast a signal out and we could backhaul them and get them onto the internet. So that's really where we kind of started. Um, And then we just started kind of hosting applications like email, for example, for our customers. A lot of our customers were smaller in size, 
So they didn't have IT departments. They didn't have massive servers in a, in a cold room somewhere. Um, but they wanted to use this new thing called the internet and start using email and have a website and things of that nature. So we started hosting a lot of these things for them. And eventually all that hosting of applications that we were doing um, became known as what we're calling the cloud today. And um, so our business evolved into the cloud and we started building our own cloud environment uh, for ourselves as a company initially, because we really didn't trust our data as a company to be on somebody else's servers, somebody else's hardware and infrastructure in some data center somewhere. So we decided that we would build that cloud environment for ourselves. And then our customers kind of caught wind of that and said, you know, can you do that for us as well? Because they also weren't comfortable at the time. Now everybody kind of talks about it like it's, you know, a common way of doing business, but it's only because they're, they're um, misplacing trust in very large companies like Amazon, like Microsoft, like Google, who are now all into the cloud game themselves. And if you really were to read the service level agreements and read the legalese that you're actually agreeing to with these companies, it should give you pause. And, but it's, it's gotten to the point where, you know, tech is, and telecom is a very highly regulated industry, just as, as uh, medical insurance and medicine is. And because of those regulations, they've really affected the market or the industry in such a way that um, they've priced certain products out of the market and they've made other products more attractive. And the main reasons for that is because they want you to use the internet in specific ways where they have more control and more access to your data and your information. And so today, almost every company now, you know, if even if they have multiple offices, is probably communicating all of that information, they're transmitting it across the internet. Whereas prior, and even in the infancy stages of the internet, they weren't doing that. They were doing that on closed corporate networks, which were more private uh, than a public network is like the internet is. And everybody now has this faith and confidence in the encryption protocols that they're using across this public internet, as if this is making all of their data and their information safe. And then, of course, it goes beyond that. Um, the data that's sitting at rest on the servers and the hard disk drives of companies like Microsoft and Amazon and Google, who have such a, a cozy relationship, it, it can be described as collusion with the government. And, you know, we're talking about um, medical information. We're talking about legal information. We're, you know, all of these things that are supposed to be complying under rules and regulations such as HIPAA, which... Even to this day, Congress has not clearly defined exactly what HIPAA is. So um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, nuance and loopholes in all of these things, but everybody has just kind of thrown caution out the window and gone full force into utilizing what is convenient and efficient um, over uh, what is really safe. Yeah. And so you have a corporation now, how do you manage to like navigate? Are there any regulatory challenges or, um, you know, things like that, that you are facing um, that make it difficult for you to maintain independent of, uh, you know, the, the tentacles of the government? 
Yeah, I mean, there are um, some things that, you know, are out of our control. Uh, and mainly it's because of what the government can do legally, uh, because they, they control the laws, of course. Uh, but, you know, one issue, for example, and maybe I don't know if we had talked about this once before um, in the uh, other meeting that we were in together, but uh, encryption, for example, en encryption is something that is very effective in protecting your information. However, um, there's an act called the Espionage Act that began in 1917 and it's actually illegal for anybody to transmit an encryption protocol or any information that is encrypted with a protocol that the government doesn't have a backdoor um, key to. In other words, the government may intercept your transmission that's encrypted, but it can easily unencrypt that information and view all the information that is there. Um, and so a lot of people aren't aware of this and they don't realize that even if somebody like a Microsoft or a Google, Google were to share the encrypted information that you have with the US government, they can easily um, decipher what that information is. And so the other thing is that all of these carriers, all of these communications carriers, they incorporate um, appliances at the edge of their networks, which are owned and controlled by the NSA. So everything that's traversing the internet going in and out um, off of these carrier networks is actually being um, replicated um, over to NSA facilities that are storing and archiving all of the information and communications that are going on. And nowadays, everything is data. Uh, your voice, um, your video is, is all data, is all packets now, and they're all being saved and, and stored in these NSA facilities. And whether encrypted or whether they're encrypted or not, there is no privacy of that information when it comes to the government. The other complication too is there are other governments and nation states that are on the internet as well. And a lot of these big tech corporations have data center facilities um, in these countries. And some not all these countries are friendly. You know, some countries like China, for example. And it would be very naive for anybody to think that the government, the U.S. government, is the only government that has these back doors into these encryption protocols, um, especially when we learn all of the secrets that our government has already given up to countries like China. Um, it's inevitable that they have these um, secrets as well. And in, in addition to that, these large big tech companies are often replicating their data between their data centers. Um, there's a good reason for that. There's a benign reason for that, which is it's good to archive and back up information and have it in case something happens at a particular data center or, or, or systems within that data center that you want to be able to retrieve and restore that information for your customer. But nobody really knows exactly how they um, store this information and replicate it. Is it being replicated in data centers that only exist in the United States? Probably not. Um, there's nothing in their documentation or their service level agreements that promises that that's what they're going to do. So a lot of this data can end up in the EU, it can end up in China, um, and you just don't know where it's sitting. And oftentimes, unless you specifically ask for it, it's not sitting at rest on hard drives that are encrypted. These hard drives are open. So um, any employee at these companies, um, they could be nefarious. Um, 
But if they have the access, necessary access, they can peek in, look into your data. Um, email services. It's very easy for an email administrator to place a forward on your inbox, for example, and have all the information that hits your inbox be replicated and copied over to a destination that they designate. And you would be none the wiser. There's nothing that would even clue you in or hint, hint to you that this information is being replicated. So, you know, unless you have certain service level agreements and promises that come from these organizations that say that they are not going to do these things, you know, that's one hurdle to go overcome. The second hurdle is, let's say they do violate the, the service level agreement. Do you actually have the means to fight these companies in court? Um, probably not. So there, there are all these barriers to holding their feet to the fire um, with regard to what they're doing technologically. But the worst part of it is that you're agreeing to it um, as well. And they usually um, draw people into their services because they're free. You know, Gmail is free. Um, Google Docs is free. Uh, you know, you can get a, um, or they're very cheap. And so, but like I often tell people, you know, they're, they're, nothing's really free. You're giving up something. And in this case, you're giving up your data and your information. And, you know, even I didn't understand when Google was saying back in 1998, I didn't understand what Google really meant by information is power. Um, it, it, it really didn't dawn on me right away. And in today's climate, it should be a lot more obvious to people uh, than it used to be. Exactly. And yeah, when we talk about, you know, the free and I always say people don't value what they get for free. Um, but it it's not free because we're we're agreeing to letting these people basically just come in to take every aspect of our of our daily lives and they're they're storing that data we would be very naive to think that they're not i know my phone oftentimes i don't know if anybody I, people think i'm crazy and they thought it was crazy when i started telling people that hey your phone's listening to you because i would be talking about something and the next thing you know that like the ads pop up in and your newsfeed and i started saying that probably about 10 years ago maybe eight or 10 years ago and everybody thought i was nuts well i clearly that's that's happening but now i i see my phone will sometimes randomly take pictures of me have you hmm. do you, have you seen anything like that happening or yeah in fact uh this was being this was kind of going viral on YouTube for a little while. Um, I think it's been two, maybe three years ago now. But um, uh, somebody had taken an iPhone into a dark room and using a black light, and they were showing how the selfie camera was being um, initiated every five minutes. So the selfie camera was actually taking a picture every five minutes. Um, we also know just to back up what you're saying, um, I don't know if you saw during the French riots that happened a few months ago, um, you know, they, they passed an emergency law that allowed the police to essentially take over everybody's cell phone, selfie cameras and their microphones. So that tells you right there that they have the ability to go into these devices and control, um, you know, the microphone and the cameras that are on them. And they were surveilling the entire population through the devices on their person. And um, just to also give you another example, 
you can try to look this up. It was a few years ago now, but there was an article in a digital magazine called The Verge, and you can go to theverge.com. They ran an article about an entrepreneurial couple who had an employee call them and say, you need to disconnect all of the Alexa devices in your in your home. And they said, well, why? They, he said, I just heard your entire conversation that you had about a half an hour ago. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, you guys were just talking about replacing the floor in this room of your house. And I heard the whole conversation. They said, well, how did you hear this? He said, I just received an email with a wave file in it. And the wave file was your entire conversation. So they figured out that this email came from Amazon and the Verge doing the report contacted Amazon and Amazon said that they had a bug, software bug that accidentally was emailing all of the contacts in their contact list, this conversation that Alexa had picked up. The problem with the article though is neither the reporter from The Verge or Amazon ever uh, addressed the issue of why Alexa was recording that conversation in the first place. Nobody said, hey, Alexa, or anything like that to invoke Alexa. So Alexa was just sitting there um, recording all of the um, conversation that was going on and archiving it. And we know it's archived because it was put into a WAV file. So why was it archived in the first place? Never mind the bug that sent it to all the contacts. Why was that conversation being recorded? So, yeah, there is a mass surveillance uh, going on. This is a complete violation of the Fourth Amendment. Um, you know, you might as well just throw that out the window because, and the other problem is, is we're all acquiescing to it. We're all saying, we're all hitting the checkbox that says, I agree in order to use these devices. And the problem too is the government is making it near impossible for us to function in society without these devices. I mean, how many of us go to the airport now and use the, you know, use the phone to show our, our ticket or how many of us now are, are making purchases from our phone? You know, all of these things, they're, be, they're becoming necessities, but at the same time, they're coming with these hooks to surveil us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, and I've said for many, many years, you know, the internet was an amazing thing and it brought all of us together and it, it did great things, but I've always said it, this is a, such a double-edged sword and I always felt like it was going to be the downfall of society and I uh, fear that I was correct um, when I when I said that uh, probably, um, God, close to 30 years ago, I, I, I can remember saying, I'm like, this is great, but I'm telling you, this is going to get out of control. Um, and I, I definitely think that we're there. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop, where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including a sea of redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. 
If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add Throat Spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with Cyrus Noriella of CyWest. Cyrus, thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. Absolutely. We've been having a great conversation. We talked a little bit in the first half about um, just, you know, how we are kind of giving all of our freedoms away to to big tech. We're letting them, you know, surveil us. We talked a little bit about Alexa, which is one of the technologies I can honestly say that I have never trusted. I will never have one of those in my home. Um, but I say that, but then I have the cell phone that probably does the exact same thing, right? So um and there there has to be a way that we we start to to move away from these technologies and our dependence on them but i'd love to talk a little bit um and get your your input on we, we're seeing this rise in ai right and, and in a lot of ways it's very helpful just like all of these these technologies make our life a little bit more convenient but at what cost um what are your thoughts on the this ai that is it's, it seems like it's rapidly um, be, you know, growing. I feel like this has been coming for quite quite some time. I'm just not in that realm. So you probably know better than me. Yeah, there, there are different facets to AI. Um, so it really depends on what areas you're really talking about with AI. I know a lot of people um, look at it as um, some kind of um, technology that has a conscience. Um, but... So maybe we can talk about what it is and what it isn't. Um, I can tell you AI is not something that has a conscience. Um, it, it is not as um, quite up to speed with self-learning as a lot of people would think that it is. Uh, but it does give that impression uh, in a lot of ways and mainly because the processing power has increased so much and the amount of bits that these processors can um, process through in a single second keeps increasing all the time. And then you have what are called multi-threaded um, operating systems or systems so the, the these processors can do multiple tasks at the same time. And so when you see, for example, a an Android or a robot that somebody has created and it's moving its eyes around while at the same time it's talking and it's moving an arm and, and doing all these things all at once. It's because they're using these multi-threaded processors that can 
manage all of these functions at the same time. And this gives us certain impressions about, you know, what AI really is. But AI is also being used in an area of technology called big data. There's a whole industry uh, known as big data out there. And companies like IBM, for example, have these huge, what they're calling data lakes. Um, they're huge databases of information. And these data lakes collect information from other databases. So imagine um, your Department of Motor Vehicles, uh, the IRS, um, anything that you may be interacting with, uh, even your social media accounts and things like that. These are all um secondary databases that act as tributaries, if you will, to fill this deposit of the data lake. And AI is being used in that regard as well, because once you have this massive amount of data, it's really irrelevant to you unless you can actually search through it and get to the data that is relevant to what you're searching for. And that's where AI kind of comes into play. It goes through these this massive amount of data and it's able to retrieve um, all this information that may be relevant in a particular situation. It also, there's a lot of scraping, they call it, of the internet. So all the information that's being communicated across the internet is being scraped by a lot of these AI-based companies. And that's how these AI, uh, like ChatGPT, for example, are able to answer questions that you start asking it. You know, you ask a simple question and all of a sudden this AI has this very lengthy answer for you because it's going to this, this data, this big data deposit, and it's finding all the information and you can see how rapidly it answers you. So um, it's, it's very fast in what it comes up with. The problem with AI, though, is that it can be controlled and, and be used for, for bad, like a lot of things. So similar to how when you go to Google and you search, um, you should know that your searches, your search results are filtered. They're either censored or they're filtered or both. And so Google actually is engaged in election interference as a result. You know, that's just one example. And they want to give you and present to you a, a particular narrative. Um, and that's what AI is starting to do as well. They're programming AI to give you the answers that you know, the, the people that are in power want you to have as the answer. And in fact, they're starting to develop things. Um, you know, Elon Musk talks about the neural network or wanting to have implants on the brain so that you can just tap into the internet and you don't have to really even know anything. You can just simply search it by thinking it and you'll get the answer, let's say from Google and you'll repeat or regurgitate some answer. Let me, but let me stop you really just quickly on because I'll, I'll certainly forget if I don't. But mm -hmm. so I, I found this really interesting and I haven't told a lot of people that because I remember I told you earlier that people thought I was insane when I said my phone was listening to me. Mm -hmm. I have noticed, right, and I certainly don't have any neural implants, not willingly anyway, <laughs> um, but I've noticed recently that my news feed Honestly, it is starting to reflect things that I have not spoken about, but that I have thought. And it's um, me out a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's easy to get that impression because, again, when I was talking in the first segment about 
how information is power. And we didn't really understand what that meant at the time back in 1998. And what you don't realize is in a lot of ways, and this stands for all of us, in a lot of ways, these companies know more about us than we know about ourselves. It's almost like uh, in the wild when you see the predator and the prey. What does the predator do? Does the predator just run out into the open field and try to catch his prey? Or does he watch the prey maybe over a few days to learn its habits before it attacks? Because what the predator eventually learns is he will know exactly where the prey is at a particular time of day and what that prey is doing so that the predator can chart out the best point of attack. And that's what's happening here. They know so much about you. So, And, and the reason why I say they know more about you than you know about yourself is because a lot of times you don't even think about what you're doing. It's just a habit. So it's not a, something you're consciously always thinking of. You get up at a certain time of the day, you go and brush your teeth, you go take your shower, you get dressed, you, you hop in the car, you go to a particular location. I mean, how many times have you taken your phone into your car and your phone comes up with a suggestion or it says it's, it's only going to be 23 minutes to this destination and you didn't tell your phone where you were going, but, but how did it know? Because your location service is on your phone. It's archiving your location services every single day. And it's creating a pattern, a heuristic pattern of what you do habitually. And most of the time when it guesses, it's right because it is a habit of yours. So I can understand where you would get that kind of impression very easily that I was just thinking these things and now I'm getting these articles in these news articles, but you have to really dig into what is it that you're actually doing online as well? What maybe are you responding to? What maybe are you reading? Um, and so it starts to, these algorithms start to modify um, and personalize the information that's coming to you. The other thing, if we get back on the AI thing again, is if you do a Google search nowadays, before you actually are able to read the search results that you get, you're going to see a little AI response at the top nowadays that is attempting to give you the answer before you even go to any websites to read the answer for yourself. Um, so this is another control mechanism. Um, the other thing that I just recently saw, and it's a little bit of an unnerving story, and I'm not trying to really strike fear, but just so that your audience is aware, I, I saw a mock um, example that was put up uh, with regard to AI. And the mock example was showing a couple of parents who put their three-year-old child's photo on Facebook. And anybody who's used Facebook knows that you don't necessarily have to have a Facebook account, but somehow your picture gets up on Facebook because somebody who knows you happened to take a picture. Maybe it's not even somebody you were just introduced to recently. They took a picture and they posted it on Facebook and suddenly your picture's up there on Facebook, even though you've never been on Facebook yourself. Okay. And in this mock example, what they did was somebody took the three-year-old's picture off of Facebook. They used AI to um, grow the child to a 20-something-year-old adult, uh, similar to how they you know, will 
grow a child like on the milk cartons when they're looking for a child that's been gone missing they'll render the child what they think it, it will look like as an adult well the same process they do there they've programmed into ai now and ai can very rapidly grow that that little three-year-old girl into a 20-something-year-old adult and then then the ai will guess as to what the young girl's voice is going to sound like as a 20-something-year-old and then they rendered this image of a girl with that three-year-old's face as a 20-year-old with that voice as a 20-year-old and then they just have that digitized uh, rendered version it's a 3d rendering it could fool some people that it's actually a real person that they're looking at in the video and it's saying anything that they want it to say and so this goes back to that earlier conversation we were having as well uh, about the surveillance and how they can actually turn somebody into a criminal when they've done nothing wrong um, because this three-year-old girl in this mock example now has a history as a 20-something-year-old before she's even reached that age. And they can take some information about the, that they know about the parents, right? And have that, that fake 20-something-year-old version of the girl talk about things her parents were doing when she was back when she was three years old. So it gives this rendered image of this person some legitimacy because it knows some actual true history that was happening while the girl was only three. So these are the types of things that um, they can do if they have the information about you. You know, um, the three-year-old girl has nothing to do with the fact that, okay, uh, mom gets up at this time every day and she, she takes me to daycare and she drops me off and then she goes to her work and her work is such and such place at such and such address. And all of this stuff is being recorded on her phone and you know everything else and so all of this data be, can be used to pretend a recall of a digitized version of this girl in her 20s recalling these memories um, when it's just all the data that was collected and archived about the mom's activities at, at that time that that truly is frightening and i've been thinking about this a lot lately how they can they can literally take you know our image our voice, especially those of us who are out and speaking publicly and are in the public sector, how they can pretty much rent, make a rendering of us saying or doing anything that they want. And you're right, they can make turn us into criminals very easily. Very right. And, if, and you know, this is, is very enlightening, uh, a very enlightening conversation. And if this isn't, you know, getting us on the path to to reining in our dependence on big tech, then you know, I don't know what will. Um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, specifically about Cy West and how, you know, what your your uh, approaches you're using for customer centric, you know, um, technologies and and how people can get set up with you. Sure. Um, so, you know, Cy West turned into something that I use personally myself, um, obviously, as a benefit, because it's it's an environment that, you know, that I helped build and we built as a company. And it's really, really interesting. Uh, people don't really understand the level of autonomy that they can have inside of the technical uh, arena. And, you know, I try to point out to people, and I'm not saying this in a 
um, in a way to show off or to be arrogant in any way. But the truth is, because I have access to the environment that we built, um, I really don't live with technology the way most people have to. You know, um, for example, I don't have an email at Gmail account at Gmail. I never have. Um, I, I've never really needed to because um, I host my own domain and I host uh, my own email server and I and I have email accounts inside of that email server. And my entire family um, has email accounts on those email servers. So it's a, it's an email server that we control. Um, we know what's going on on that mail server at any time. And when my daughter, for example, wants to talk to me over email, she's sending a message to the server that I control and I'm retrieving that message from the same server that I control. And so there is no third party in the middle um, of that communication via email uh, between my daughter and I. Um, when I take a, a picture on my iPhone, for example, you know, most people have the photo sync up with iCloud because they want it backed up and they want to be able to retrieve it if they upgrade their phone or something like that. Um, I have iCloud shut off on my phone because I have my own cloud uh, inside of the, the SciWest uh, Edge cloud. And so um, when I take a photo, it automatically syncs up to the server that I have in our environment. It doesn't go to Apple. It doesn't go to any other third party, except for the fact that the phone is is, is from a third party uh, in that scenario. So um, the, the, the attack surface, as we like to call it for me, is um, severely or extremely reduced um, compared to the average person who needs to rely on these open services, sometimes free services, in order to have these functions available to them. And so what it, what's important to understand is there are companies like us, you know, we've built this um, cloud environment to be safe and secure. The, the first thing that I had to do personally was to think to myself, okay, if, if I build this cloud environment, uh, and I'm going to put my own personal information up on this cloud environment. Um, I have employees. Is my data even safe for my own employees? And that was a question that we had to ask because people are people. It, it doesn't really matter, you know, where they are um, or where they work. So I had to make sure that the environment was was safe for me as well. And so we built certain things into our cloud environment that uh, just doesn't really exist in a lot of other places. Um, for example, we don't use low end resources for our cloud. Everything we do on our hard drives by default, for example, is encrypted. So the, the hard drives on the back end for us are all encrypted. Um, that is not a default position for even the biggest of players in the cloud market. Um, all of our communication, of course, is encrypted um, to and from that cloud environment. And, you know, even if somebody in our own company has access, they aren't going to be able to decipher that information. Even the servers, like the, the own cloud server that I was talking about with my photos, um, even that data is encrypted on top of the encryption that's going on to those hard drives that are encrypted. So it's it's a very secure way of being able to communicate 
uh, share information. For example, um, I have an accountant that works in a different state and I share my private uh, information with him on one of those servers that is encrypted in our cloud environment. And I give him access and he sends me my tax returns and I send him my financials and everything else. And this has my social security number and, and all these other different things on it. And I know that it's safe inside of the environment that we've built. And I know that he can safely download that information and retrieve it. So there's a level of autonomy and um, advantage that we have in being able to access a system like that, that also gives us a certain level of control. Um, one of my daughters is at the university and she um, is doing all of her homework and everything off of a laptop computer. And so I've set up something that automatically syncs all of her homework so that it goes into our cloud environment so that if anything happens to her laptop, she still has all of her work and it's stored safely and securely up there. And so with us as a company, we're, we're mainly a B2B environment. We're starting to kind of migrate into the business to consumer environment where you know you can use word processing applications with us and, and you can all utilize it on these encrypted servers you can get email from us but if you even want to go beyond that and you want to say you know um i want to actually um create my own domain for my own email and i want to um, stand up my own mail server um one of the cool things you can do with us is you can set set up or create a virtual data center and in that virtual data center, you can stand up any kind of a server or an application that you want. And when you have management control over, over those things, it gives you a level of autonomy that most people just aren't familiar with, which is what the internet was really supposed to give us in the first place. Yeah. The internet was supposed to give us this level of autonomy and this, this ability to communicate with each other um, in a way that was not only public, but could also be private. And so, uh, and there's very little that the government or the powers that be can do to you if you are not inside of their controlled or centralized platforms. And this is key. This is really key. The internet is a decentralized network, but the platforms that you're going into like Gmail or like Facebook and things like that, those are centralized platforms that exist on top of this decentralized network. And one of the best analogies that I can use is, do you remember that song swapping um, network called Napster? Oh, yes. <laughs> remember that. Okay. Yeah, well, people were pirating songs uh, using Napster. Well, why was it that the music industry and the, and the government could not shut Napster down? The reason why was because Napster was a decentralized um, platform that existed on top of the decentralized internet. And be, what that means to be decentralized is there's not one main node that controls that entire environment. In fact, it was hundreds and thousands of nodes. People's personal computers became nodes that made up the, the collective of the uh, the Napster platform. So if you shut down one guy's computer, there were thousands others behind it. You couldn't shut it all down. 
And so the only way they got to Napster was was through the courts. Um, the courts mandated that Napster had to be brought down and anybody using Napster was going to get fined and get in trouble. And so it became a civil matter more than it than it did a technical one. Um, so if people understand that if you utilize the internet with all of its capacities, it gives you a level of autonomy that nobody can really shut down on you. And um, these are the types of things that, you know, you said in your intro to the show about thinking outside of the box. Um, this is thinking outside of the box. And in fact, even when I talk about encryption and the government having a back door, you know, there are encryption technologies like blockchain out there. And the reason why the government is going to want to get us on a centralized, you know, a central bank digital currency, the key word there is central, um, the, the CBDC. But if it was a digital currency that was decentralized, um, the government couldn't control the money, the monetary system anymore. And you and I could trade freely, uh, trade freely with each other the way we can with cash. And um, the, the reason why blockchain had to be invented in the first place is because when you share digital information, it's not like the physical world. Uh, in the physical world, if I take an, uh, an object or an item and I hand it to you, that object leaves me and goes to you. But in the digital world, it's different. I still have my copy of that item in the digital world. And now I've given you a copy of that item when I share it. And because the digital information gets shared a lot like Morse code. Um, if you think about ship to shore communication through Morse code, you know, a ship in the, in the ocean can flash a signal to the shore. But what happens is that message now is replicated. It's not, it's not taken from the ship and brought to the shore. And so if you have two people standing on the shore, and that message is communicated one time by flashing light in Morse code, now there are three copies of that message, right? Because you have the original, and you have the two people who both saw the single transmission of that message. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless, as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time